Everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today we'll be covering the sixth episode from season one titled Chapter Six The Monster. All right. I cannot wait. This was juicy, had some great stuff. Are you ready to jump into our top five? I am ready. Some questions have been answered, and I have them in my notes. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and start with your number five? All right, so my number five, uh, it's not really going to tie into much of the the answers we have or the answers they've given us, but it goes back to the group of boys and and their uh, party, you know, is very much on display in this episode. Like, there's a lot of references to their D&D party, a lot of references to just themselves as being in this party. And we get to learn about their rules of the party. And this is something that I thought was really, really awesome. Like you have this group of friends. I think it's whenever you build like almost like a uh, inside joke or inside rules, which is what this is. It just kind of shows how close knit these boys are together. And you slowly start to learn about it as. So you see Mike and Dustin, they're they're in the basement. And Mike's kind of flipped out a little bit because of Eleven leaving. He's almost kind of like... backing her up a little bit like he's he's making excuses for her. but dustin's trying to keep that friendship thing involved and he's telling him he's like listen you know the rules of the party you drew first blood you pushed first so you have to be the one to shake the hand and i love like again i love that this is something that these group of friends have put together mm-hmm. and they've you know they've you know and it's known rules it's like do you want to be kicked out of the party like these are the rules we agreed to these rules and dustin and Mike end up going and seeing Lucas and basically I love again I'm gonna say I love with this a lot because this this is something that like as a boy growing up like you want these friends you want these like stand by me type of friends yeah and you know you know I kind of envy that a little bit because I've got a good friend now with Richard and a couple other people but I never had that like adolescent you know group of friends that were kind of like that ride or die kind of group of friends yeah and so seeing that's like it's like oh if only like I'd want to be there I'd want to be there Sean in the group it'd be Mike Will Dustin Lucas and Sean that's what I'm envisioning yeah but this whole time too as he as they go up there and it's like you know you see Lucas pacing back and forth as they let him in he's like okay well I'll shake your hand under one condition so they're playing make let's a deal or let's make a deal on this <laughs> rules of the party and I kind of like Dustin like I said Dustin seems to be kind of the the person with the mindset of like, okay, here's the rules, guys. We're best friends. Like you two are best best friends. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of the the extra friend because I, I love that point too, where Mike and him are riding. He's like, you know, I know Lucas is your friend. Like I came here in fourth grade. You guys already had that time together. You were neighbors, and you know, Mike's like, no, like, like we're all best friends. And Dustin is like, no, that's that's not how it works. Like he's your best friend. I'm just kind of like your really really good friend. Yeah. But he's really the voice of reason in all this, trying to make sure that, you know, they have to be together. And he he even agrees that Eleven's, like, with is part of the group now, which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah, it was. It was sweet that he also included her. 
But and then it just kind of gets to the point where Lucas and Mike cannot agree that Lucas does not want anything to do with Eleven. Like he's like, I'm going to the gate. I'm going to figure out where my where Will is. You know, screw you guys. I'm packing up all my Rambo gear and I'm going to go save Will. (laughs) And, you know, Dustin and Mike end up basically being like, okay, well, we're going to find 11 first. They're split. There's no handshake. There's no deal that's done here. So the rules of the party is still kind of up in the air, but I still like, so basically kind of long winded. But my number five is the fact that we have this, the rules of the party, this group, this party has their own kind of laws that they abide by. Laws of friendship, if you will. Yeah, I I like that too. That's that's really good because that's um go, that's like my number four was the friendship. Um, and and you mentioned that like they have their own code, and I really like that. I thought that was really cute. How they're like you know when when Dustin is telling you know or sorry Mike that you know hey you you drew first blood you know the rules um do you want to be banished you know I just thought it was so adorable because he's like so serious and it's it's hilarious as like an adult I mean if you're a kid though if you were you know the same age 12 13 years old that they are you're like yeah man that's that's code it's it's serious but as an adult you kind of snicker just a little bit you're like oh kids you know that's so adorable and you just want to like pinch their little cheeks or something um to kids i mean that's law that's basically that is the law of the friendship you break that you're basically in friendship jail yeah exactly so i I think it's really adorable that they that they do have their code and and how dustin is you know reminding them of that and you know I, i really like how they were displaying their friendship because even though lucas was mad at mike um, he still wasn't willing to give up on finding Will, like no matter what's going on with, you know, he's mad at Mike. Um, he's not really mad at Dustin too much. He, you know, he seems like he's just, you know, he, he can see what he's trying to do, but he's not really mad at him. But he still is dedicated to, to finding Will. So Lucas, even though he and Mike are not getting along, he's still really holding true to finding Will and is trying to be a good friend, you know, uh, trying to find him. Um, I really like when Dustin was reminding them um, as, you know, they're arguing again about, you know, because Lucas won't shake his hand unless Mike agrees to that condition. And uh, he's like, I'm just going to go find the gate myself. And Dustin reminds them all about sticking together. He's like, and what what is it he referred to? The bloody oh, path? It was the, you, the bloodstone path. The bloodstone yeah. path. Okay, yeah. I, I knew I was going to forget what that was. Um, but, you know, he's like, do you remember what happened there? We split up and we got taken out by the troll and it was a disaster. And, you know, how we need to stick together. That's how we were going to fix this and how we're going to find Will is by sticking together. So I thought it was really sweet. Dustin, you know, kind of holding being the voice of reason, holding everyone together, reminding them about their friendship. Um, another, I think, good show of friendship was um, there at the end when Dustin and, and Mike and Elle were all hugging at the end after the incident with the bully and they're at the quarry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really nice that even though Elle, um, you know, kind of left them because she was hurt by what, you know, Mike yelled at her and she fled, uh, Mike was upset with Elle, and they were all kind of upset with each other, but yet they still have that really strong bond of friendship that they came together there at the end. So I, I agree. That was, um, I think, some really great displays of friendship, and I like that as well. So Yeah, I like you bringing back up the uh, the stone of, when I wrote it down, the uh, the bloodstone path. I mean, they kind of learned that with Will, like he, he basically, 
you know, relive this D&D experience that they went through. Yeah. And so their life lessons are coming from this game, this board game that they've been playing for years. <laughs> I think that's just kind of an awesome, you know, tale of why D&D should be played everywhere. <laughs> I know, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, it is really cool how they keep referring to that, you know, like whenever um, Elle was talking about the upside down and, and explaining it to them when their D&D board was you know, the right way. And then she flipped it upside down to represent the upside down. Um, and then, you know, the Demogorgon in the game, you know, representing the monster um, and just, you know, how, how they play that game kind of represents what they're going through in real life and how it also kind of shows them, you know, because they were talking about that and how it, it shows that it's important to stick together because just like in a game and in real life, you need your friends with you and you need to stick together. And that's how you're going to come through these challenges in life is by, you know, sticking together, not separate. And what was it that Lost taught us was um, live together, or die alone. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's what I got out of it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, good number five. That was, um, and that coincided with my number four. So, and you know, I don't really like, I, these are numbered and stuff, but I can't really say if they're like in a particular order. They're just some of my top things that I want to talk about. So yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I try to maybe get like my favorite or ones more to the front, but yeah, they're kind of mixed match all over the place. Yeah, that was a good one. Good number five. Do you have anything else you want to say about that one? Nope. So what do you have for your number Cinco? Let's see. So <laughs> your favorite person, <laughs> Steve, <laughs> is my number five. <laughs> he was on display in this episode. Oh, my gosh. You know, I just, you know, I know we talked about it a little bit in the previous episode because he, you know, Nancy is pathetically swinging that bat at her house and he approaches her and, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, you just see this turn of character and it's like, nah, I am so not buying it. You're a jackass. And I thought this episode, we saw a really quick turnaround on that nice display of behavior um, by how he was treating Nancy in this episode. And, oh, my gosh, I mean, I wanted to punch his friends uh, so bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, I just those girls, I just want to punch them right in the face. And if well, I especially just on the way to like, like he's actually, I think I'll give Steve the D this. He was concerned <laughs> and I think he yes. was actually heartbroken. Like he was, he was letting his friends be the jerks that they were because they knew they could be now because he doesn't care about her anymore because of what he saw. But yeah, it's like, I kind of feel for Steve the D just a little bit. Oh, but Sean, I can't believe I'm hearing that I come know. out of your mouth. I know. Oh my goodness! This is this is going to be history right here. Um, it's a good thing we're recording right now. <laughs> we've got we've got proof. <laughs> but I mean, and that that was going to be a question that I had for you is: Do you think that he was really hurt from whenever he saw her turning to Jonathan and what he saw, or at least what he thought he saw happening, or is he just a real douchebag? So you think that he really was, you know, genuinely hurt by by that? That he really kind of fell for her, or really, you know has feelings for her and that really hurt him? I think so. I mean, it, it seemed that way anyway, because I mean, he wasn't the one writing the stuff. He was letting his friends do it. And I think he kind of let his guard down a little bit. And that's probably what hurt him the most is because you saw when he was driving the car to go see her, because he, he seemed like he was really concerned mm -hmm. because his friends were poking him in a way that really upset him. Like, listen, I don't care about people. Like, I don't care about girls. But it's like all of a sudden, oh, you know, you, Stevie has a girlfriend. He has a little crush. <laughs> yeah. And I think that vulnerability, because he's kind of like the alpha of the group, and that vulnerability, I think, kind of, like, he almost let his guard down. I think it shook him. 
Yeah, a little bit. And then going up to be like, oh, like, you know, she's sleeping with this creepo, creepo Jonathan now, too. Like, okay, so this girl that I didn't think I cared about now I do care about doesn't care about me at all. It's like, well, fuck this then. And goes on his little, you know, slut shaming. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was bad. Run. Yeah, but, I... yeah, but to say when when he got caught in the in the alley, like I was screaming up and down and shouting. I think I might have woke up everybody. In the house. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, oh my gosh, when Nancy like charged down the alley and and like smacked him. I mean, that was all of us in that moment. I mean, didn't we all want to do that? Um, and not just in this episode, but other episodes just want to smack the hell out of him. Like she did. I mean, that was so fantastic. Um, so I don't know that he's, I just thought it was so ballsy whether, you know, and, and he's with them. He's not actually doing it, but he's allowing his friends to do it. And I guess because he's, he's butthurt over this whole thing and he's opened himself up and gone vulnerable. And I get that. That really sucks. I just, I'm not sure if I believe it. Um, I guess I can kind of see it, but we'll see what happens in the rest of the episodes. But I thought, how ballsy is it for them to be spray painting all over the place? Did no one see them in the street in front of the movie theater? That's a good point. Like, you'd think somebody would, like, the movie theater would be like, hey, get kids, get off there. I mean, you have to have, like, a ladder, right? You're not standing there just doing it i mean for one because you're in plain sight you're on a street and i know it's a small town and it's not like super busy but there's people walking you know on the sidewalks there's cars going by where are huey and dewey they show up (laughs) in the in the alley to to arrest them they hear about oh my nose yeah so they hear about that but they somehow aren't getting reported to you know that hey there's some kids spray painting oh but there's a fight and maybe they did get reported on the spray painting and that's why they were there and they just happened upon the fight I don't know, but yeah, I thought, that's what I would how think. do you not see this? You have to have a ladder. Is no one's just, or is everybody just standing there going, oh, look, the kids are spray painting the sign again. And in, in doing so, they're also, you know, writing out slut, which to some is like a curse word or something or offensive to some people. And it just amazed me because I thought, well, nobody's stopping them, you know, how'd they get so yeah. far? How'd they finish it? But well, um, like they, anyway. they put it on Front Street too. Like they put it right there on the marquee. Yeah. But then they go down a hall, like an alley, and put it where somewhere like nobody goes. Like that's where they start putting their second piece of art. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, I put it here where everybody can see it. Where's the next place we should do it? In front of the post office? No. Hey, what about down this alley? Like where no where one's going to see at. it. <laughs> yeah. If you've already done the front marquee of a movie theater on like it looks to be like the main only main only street if you live in a small town you know exactly what i'm yeah. talking about um but yeah if you've already done that why are you then going in the back alley i mean i get why why for the show purposes it probably had to be done but it was like we've already you know broken that barrier doing it in front of everyone and in a street why are you hiding it now but anyway it just amazed me that they were you know that they were able to get away with it for um to be able to at least finish the, the, the spray paint job in the front. But anyway, um, yeah, I kind of rambled on that one a little bit. But yeah, Steve was my number five and just his whole attitude and change of nature. Um, and, you know, just I was wondering what your thoughts were from a guy's perspective and what you thought um, and what his true nature was. Oh, I think there's been like fights that, you know, there was the rumble in the jungle. There was most recently McGregor and Mayweather. Yes. And then we got Steve the D versus Jonathan. Like this is the fight everybody's been waiting for. Hell yeah. And what I love about this thing is like, I think a lot, I, maybe I can relate to Jonathan a little bit. Like you have that like pent up rage of like somebody just like 
picking on you and you just kind of bury all that stuff deep. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get someone like Steve the D who just keeps poking you and poking you. And like what they say, when you poke the bear, what happens? Are you, you know. Well, if you mess, the, I know if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we learned from <laughs> Breakfast Club. <laughs> but yeah. And, and Steve, I, I like that Jonathan, because I was kind of concerned that they would basically make Jonathan just get his butt kicked, which I think, you know, in, in most high school type of, you know, situations like that, like, Unless, obviously, you're going up against the guy who's 300-plus pounds and is, like, the football player versus, you know, a Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan's going to get his butt kicked. But these two kids are basically, like, the same weight, same, you know, size. It's the whole thing of, you know, uh, mind maybe over matter. Like, you know, the reason Jonathan probably feels inferior is because, you know, Steve has this, like, you know, alpha male type of persona. But he's not anything special. No. He just, you know, he comes from a family and he talks big. I like that you see Jonathan actually be able to stand up for himself and actually fight back. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he hits, you know, Huey or Dewey in the nose and, <laughs> you know, ends up going to, uh, um, you know, jail or at least get, get arrested. But what I love is when they're talking to the, the reception lady there or Nancy is and she goes on about like, oh, you know, your boyfriend's in there, whatever. But she says something. She's like, you know, only love makes you do crazy things. And, you know, you kind of think about that. It's like, well, why why did Jonathan stick up for her? Because I do think he cares for Nancy. Yeah. And you wonder, why did Jonathan, or not Jonathan, why did Steve do these crazy things by painting all this stuff on there? Well, maybe he actually loves her, and this was his way of basically acting out. Not appropriately, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's his only way of being like, oh, now I've got your attention. Again, not appropriate whatsoever, but it was kind of like his weird mindset of this is how I can reach out to make sure that she sees me and knows that she hurt me. By hurting her, maybe. Not a healthy relationship, obviously, but... <sighs> well, you know what? You make a damn good point there, Sean. I might have to just take that into consideration. I don't know if I'm <laughs> 100% swayed, but I certainly can relate to that situation. Um, you know, that you don't always... Um, you know, if you've been hurt, you sometimes, you know, act out by hurting that person in return. Like you said, not the most healthy thing, but sometimes mm-hmm. that's that's what happens. But, um Okay. Okay, I'll take that into consideration and leave it uh, for future judgment based on future episodes. And yeah. what He's still he is still Steve the D in my book, but I think he kind of was at least at least emotionally hurt. He wasn't just being a complete douchebag, I guess, if that makes sense. It does make sense. You know, love makes you do crazy things. That's what that lady <laughs> told her, right? Makes yep. You- All right. Sweet. Well, that was my number five. What is your number four? All right, so my number four is it goes back to our favorite character, Hop. Yeah. But it's going to be uh, kind of the tandem that was going on here. Is you have Hop and Joyce kind of going on this adventure to figure out what's going on with this lady and her kid. But what I love is, you know, first thing you get with these two is you see Hop sitting there talking to her. They're both smoke, chain-smoking cigarettes. And Hop is going over like, okay, here's here's what happened in the facility. I did this, I did that, I did this. And then Joyce be like, wait, you did not mention that last time. Go back. And you get the sense that they've been talking about this for probably hours. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to think of like a great example, but, you know, I, you know, almost like maybe a mom like poking like, okay, well, how was your day? Well, did you do this? Well, what about this? Did you get the laundry done? <laughs> well, you said you didn't do the laundry. What about the dishes? Did you do the dishes? Yeah. And so he's just kind of going down that whole path. And she's trying, like, she's actually getting into like investigation mode. Like Joyce is now like Joyce PI, like private investigator Joyce. Yeah. Because it's like she's got something to focus on. It's like she has something that she can drive that manic stuff that she's got going on into something. So, yeah. 
Yeah, she's starting to figure out, like, okay, I'm not, and I, maybe that's what a lot of this is like, okay, I've put all this thought and effort into my kid being alive, but now that I know he's alive, like, I need to take all that effort and put it into actually finding him and figuring this out. Like, there's, there's an actual investigation, or there's an actual, you know, mystery here to solve. And again, Hop, you know, as they're talking about um, something, I can't remember what, exactly what it was, but it popped in his head the conversation he had about the kid that had a shaved head when the, the cook was killed. Benny, when Benny was killed. And so he starts thinking about, like, well, maybe I've been chasing the wrong kid this whole time. And that leads him back to another thing he discovered about the, the woman who had her, said her kid was kidnapped. And so they get on the road, and he calls from a payphone. So again, you know, Jim Hopper, he knows that this, this facility, government black ops place is, like, probably watching him. Even though he knows, like, they may not tap his phone, or he may have found it, he still knows that this this government probably can catch him. So he calls from a payphone, and they figure out where this lady is, and they go and talk to her. But it's kind of just the whole, like, I, you know, it's almost like a buddy cop in a horrible situation yeah. for Joyce and Hopper. And I like that they're playing off each other and kind of investigating this path and figuring out, you know, the, they're finding the breadcrumbs. And they're starting to get it all together to figure out, okay, this is this is the mystery that we need to solve. This this path will lead us to hopefully figuring out what happened to Will. Exactly, yeah. Like and I love and this, the part I love most is when Hopper's like, maybe I've been chasing the wrong kid this whole time, and just you see that light bulb uh, flip on. It's like, okay, you know, there's probably somebody out here missing. You know, not only is Will missing, there's another. Like this is again, like there's these kids that could be missing. That you know, and he he goes on too, where he talks about um, after they figure something out, they feel like, oh, this girl's been missing for twelve years. And what I enjoyed or what I liked about that scene is, you know, you see Joyce kind of like fall back like, oh, my God, I can't go 12 years without seeing Will. But Hopper brings back in reality. He's like, you know, I you know what I would give to be able to see my daughter after 12 years or just see her again, like to know that that was an option. And just, you know, he's again, he's doing all this, I think, to kind of, you know, vindicate what he went through. Like he's trying to basically fix what he did wrong or maybe what he did wrong. I don't know, but fix what he couldn't have fixed in the past. He's trying to do that now. Yeah, because we don't really, and I'm racking my brain and these episodes are really starting to run together for me, but we don't really know, do we, exactly what happened to, I mean, we know his daughter is dead, but we don't really know what happened in the circumstances, right? No, you just, I mean, you don't really even technically know she's dead. I mean, it's, you can yeah. assume it pretty much. Yeah, maybe assumption, but yeah. Like, yeah, you don't know if she's dead, is she missing? Is he just not able to see her at all? Um, I mean, he did call what I'm assuming is her mom, um, but like, there's no kids in the background or anything like that made you lead to believe that his daughter was still there. Right. So yeah, we don't, we don't really know. We can only assume either she's dead or she's missing or something, but something obviously happened and we may not know the details, but yeah, it does seem like he's, he's taking this situation and kind of projecting his own and thinking, you know, I couldn't help this. It's like what you said, I can't help what happened here in the past with my situation, but I can by damn make a difference here. And he's going to, I think you're right. Try to do in this situation what he wished he would have done in his own situation when he was that parent, when he was maybe in Joyce's shoes. So that's a really good point. Those two together yeah. are pretty awesome. I do love Hopper. Love that man. Yes. Yeah. So my number four is just those two together kind of, you know, running in their own Scooby-Doo-esque style trying to figure out this mystery. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Um you know, I, I keep you, you going first is really knocking out everything that I have because <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> your number four 
It's actually my number three is Hopper and Joyce, and I, I I'm like you. I really enjoyed them them two to getting together. They really seem to be putting t- together the pieces and making some sense of things. You've got his great investigative work. You've got Joyce's like. She has like some sort of instinct for something. Like she's got that motherly instinct. She's using her gut to guide her and what feels right. Um, so I think between the two of them, and I think he has that too, but he's also got that great skill of, of knowing how to navigate this, con- what they believe to be this conspiracy and cover up and that something's going on. So he's using that. And they're totally like Sherlock and Holmes, you know, digging oh, yeah, into this mystery. Call. It's, it's, it's super awesome um to see to see them two together and i really thought it was really interesting when they got to the house of terry ives and they meet her and she's in this sort of um unresponsive state it's like she can hear them she kind of it may be not completely unresponsive but she's not talking she just kind of makes these little like subtle faces um so it's like you know that she can hear you but she's not really responding and it seems like they're trying to get her to respond, you know, kind of trigger like the something. Whole time, it seemed, <clears throat> yeah. It seemed like the whole time she was just like, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I was going to say, it seemed like the whole time she's just like silently judging them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And, and it's like, she's, it's like they're capturing her attention. Cause you can tell that she is listening to them. It seems she is making eye contact. So she's not completely unresponsive, but for some reason, either she chooses not to, or she can't, um, you know, and her sister, you know, is telling them the background story about what happened. The isolation tanks. I know we talked about it on the last episode. We were talking about those um, isolation tanks where, you know, you're in this um, pool of like salt water. You float. It it deprives all of your senses. You can't hear or see anything. You're just kind of floating in this water. They would usually have you do it on like LSD and it was supposed to like expand the boundaries of the mind. Um, and that her sister was a part of these experiments. And they are thinking that somehow it was due to these experiments and the drugs that put her in this state. But I don't know. Do you think that it was the drugs and these experiments or whatever it was that she was involved with or this traumatic event of her losing her child that That's, puts yeah, her in the state? Because, I mean, as they get there and they're walking through this, I'm like, well, I wonder if the government, like, basically put her in this state. So maybe, you know, they did the experiment, they did the LSD, and it might have messed her up a little bit. But, you know, they, they go into the, the details about what the kid has. And I wonder if once they figured out, oh, like the government's like, oh, we've got this kid with this, this abilities. They basically, you know, lobotomize her to be like, okay, we're taking you out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make up this whole story. So you think that your kid actually died, but it didn't. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, you're right. I hadn't even thought about that because I thought, well, it could be the drugs. I mean, I, people do, you know, I guess depending on how much and how frequently you do uh, drugs like LSD, there can be these long-term effects that can really mess with you. Um, So I get that. That's not completely out of the realm of possibilities. But I thought, well, what if it was this trauma that she's lost her child, that they've taken this child from her and made up a story that she miscarried in the third trimester? I think that that's a pretty traumatic event, but I wasn't even thinking that maybe, you know, as they were taking her child from her and making her or trying to write it off as the fact that she miscarried and that she didn't have the child and it wasn't kidnapped, um, that maybe they injected her with something. Did they give her something to put her in this state? So I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I just thought that was kind of sad. It was sad that she still had like the baby's room, you know, still set up and, 
uh, when they were leaving uh, and they were walking oh, out, yeah. you saw Joyce kind of pause and look at her and she's just kind of staring at her. And you know that she's thinking like, this is what's going to happen to me if I can't find Will. I'm going to be sitting in this chair completely lost and, you know, just basically crazy. I think she's afraid she's going to go absolutely batshit if if she's unable to find Will. And I think that she can totally relate to Terry and her situation. And she was really scared in that moment that 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 could be me. And that might be me if we don't, you know, figure out what happened to Will. But you know what? One thing that really confused me, and this is what I'm going to ask you is Terry's sister. And I don't remember if they said her name, what her name was, but I don't, I didn't write it down if they did. Yeah, I didn't either. But Terry's sister was talking about, um, well, they took, they took the baby because it had powers and she, it was going to be used as a weapon to spy against the commies and stuff. And I, but so then the question was like, oh, how did they know this baby had powers? Because the baby. <laughs> <That's> good point. <laughs> what did they? What kind of tests were they doing? Because they, the baby hadn't even been born yet, and they they came up with this somehow this plan that we're going to take this baby from her. We're going to either try to convince her or at least the rest of the world that she miscarried in the third trimester, that she didn't actually really birth a live baby. Um, How did they know that this baby had powers and that they were going to use it as a weapon? Were they kind of, what were they doing? It's like the Huey Huey and Dewey doctors. (laughs) Like, oh my God, look, it moved the belly with its mind. It's like, no, it just pushed with its foot. No, it was with its mind. It has powers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was happening while this baby was in utero that they were like, oh, that's a special baby. We're going to <laughs> we're going to kidnap this baby and, and make this mother think that she miscarried or else, you know, or, or this whole conspiracy and cover-up thing. So I'm like, how did they know that? I, I could yeah, see that a- after the baby was born and maybe was like a toddler and started to show some kind of powers or something and, and, and some weird things were happening. But how did they know in utero that this baby powers maybe i'm totally missing something here but i don't know it just made me question that so i don't know it's it's just interesting but that was um your number four was my number three was hopper and joyce so and i recovered my number four so that was the friendship thing so uh so yes we'll jump over to my number three so it's uh kind of another do you so so you've already got your four and three knocked out right i do okay I just didn't want. I was gonna say, hey, well, why don't you go ahead and go next then, if you'd like? No, but. you're you're knocking them out for me. You're just bang, bang, bang. You're going. You just keep going. <laughs> so my number three, it's another tandem, um, and I kind of thought about keeping this as like a one single number as the tandem of uh, Hopper and Joyce, and then this these two. But I felt like they kind of deserve their own. But I want to go with the tandem of Jonathan and Nancy. Mm-hmm. So you know, last episode we leave Nancy. She's crawled through the the goop. You know, she sees this monster. She's freaking out. And, you know, we get the opening of this as Jonathan's yelling for We don't, like, he just happens to see this tree closing back up. And by flashing his flashlight there, you know, Nancy throws her hand out, which, again, another scene that made me jump out of my seat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he pulls her through and saves her, and they have this embrace. You know, they get back to her house, and he's, he's a complete gentleman. You know, he's he's not trying to pull any Steve the D study type moves. He's like, you know, she takes a shower because she's freaked out. Oh, that's yeah. the other thing I think. They finally, make I move. say finally she was freaked out. Well, I think that's the thing of, you know, I you, know, you, you almost have to see them as going into this as being a little bit like there's not any monsters. There's just this weird stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then finally, once they actually see it, it's like, oh, shit, like this, 
this is real. Like there's this thing where its mouth opens up in like six different directions and like it screams like a creepy ass screaming thing. And, you know, I'm legitimately scared now. Like I've, you know, had that come to Jesus moment and I am scared. Yeah. You know, because she's, she's, shower, she's showering, she's freaking out, and, and Jonathan's like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to go home. Like, I don't want to walk out there in the dark by myself. I think that's kind of why he was starting to make a bed at the end of the, on the floor, is because he was too scared to go home. And so he puts the bed together, he's like, hey, is this okay? And she's like, yeah. He's like, you know, I just, you know, wanted to make sure you're okay. You know, I, you know I'll, I'll sleep here on the floor. Like, not even two, two minutes go by. She's like, will you just come up here? Mm-hmm. And... You know, again, he's laying on top of the covers, and he's like, well, you know, leave the lights on. A complete gentleman, you know. Yeah. Didn't try any creepy moves. Um, But we get out of all this, so, you know, she wakes up first, and she's doing some research. And this is a very almost like uh, Jaws-esque kind of callback Mm -hmm. because she's going back looking through, like, books about predators, and she sees, like, hey, sharks could see, you know, this amount of blood. And it leads them to think that blood may be the thing that can help them not trap the monster, but at least lure this monster. Which is what we thought kind of happened in, and I don't remember the exact episode number, but the episode when Barb disappeared, when she's sitting on the yeah, yeah. the um, the diving board and her hand, thumb, whatever is bleeding. And you see that droplet of blood going into the pool and boom, there's, you know, the lights go out and she disappears, that whole uh, whole event. So... I think she's definitely connecting the dots. Yeah, she's doing a little bit of her own investigation where kind of identifying like, oh, hey, you know, this she was bleeding, the deer was bleeding, yada, yada, yada. Um, the other part that I thought was funny with these two is, so they end up, so they're, they're going to figure out they've used this blood, lure this monster in. And what they do then is they go to their local warehouse store, their local like, <laughs> hardware store. Yes. Now, I don't know what kind of surplus store this is, that has bear traps, hammers, gasoline tanks. I mean, it has just about everything for monster hunting and more. It was it should an be army monster- surplus store. <laughs> I have never been into an army surplus store, so maybe that's what I'm missing. But it's like, I just thought it was funny. It's like, you know, hammer, 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 and bear trap. It's got it all. You must visit one very soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, like, the dude, like, he's suspicious. He's like, what the hell are you kids going to do with all this? <laughs> And, you know, she's like, well, I'm not going to lie. It's like, we're monster hunting. Yeah. He's like, all right, ring him up. I know. It's a really good moment. I really love how this show mixes up because, like you said, there were some, like, legit scary freaking moments, you know, in this, you know, uh, that really scared the hell out of me and made me jump, too. Um, and suspenseful moments, you know, with what's going on with the conspiracy and, you know, uncovering all of these things and these intense moments. And then you get these light moments, and it's awesome. That was really great. So kind of a, kind of a quick hit, but my number three is just the team, teamwork of Jonathan and Nancy. Well, that's hilarious because that's my number two. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I told you. <laughs> um, so my number two was a monster hunting. We will go. Uh, <laughs> so I absolutely agree. I don't have too much to add really to what you said because it was kind of a, a quick. That's like one of my favorite scenes. In I mean, this this whole episode is has a lot of my favorite scenes, and there's lots of great things. But I really liked that because I thought it was really, really funny that they were, I don't know if you can do that today. I don't know if you can walk into an army surplus store and just buy the 38 
um, bullets yeah, and buy all of those things that they bought without anybody really questioning or having to show some ID or having to sign off on some things. I'm not sure. Um, I have been in an army surplus store. I have, I'm related to, thank God nobody listens, um, to this podcast that I'm related to because they kill me <laughs> if I said anything. <laughs> but, um, uh, they're, they're kind of close to what you might call a prepper. Oh, they're okay. not quite full on preppers, but they're pretty darn close. They're definitely big, big gun people. Um, and, and that type of, if you can imagine. Um, so, you know, I have been to these types of stores a couple times in my life. I have been in there and, and have seen the things that you can buy and that is available. And I did it as a kid. So it would have been, you know, kind of similar in the same kind of time frame as the show. Uh, so, so yeah, there are lots of available things there that you may not see or be able to purchase at other stores without raising an eyebrow. And I think that's what was so hilarious about the store clerk, because at first he is kind of like, what the hell are you two kids going to do with this stuff? And, you know, like I said, when Nancy's like, Oh, we're going monster hunting. He's probably (laughs) assuming like Bigfoot or something, you know, like, yeah, yeah, totally. See, I'm telling you, Indiana, there's Bigfoot. That's why it didn't raise an (laughs) eyebrow. This guy's like, everybody's coming here and getting their Bigfoot gear. Have you seen Bigfoot yet? Is that are you, this is the second week in a row you've brought him up? So I'm just curious if you've if you've experienced Sasquatch in Indiana. You know what? Um, I I'll just say that I've seen some things and heard some things, and I won't hmm. say too much more than that because I'm afraid someone's gonna be, uh, just completely write me off as a nut because <laughs> this is not. <laughs> That's, that might have to be a special episode where we talk about your experiences with Sasquatch. We, we can we can totally do that. I, I won't say I've seen an actual sighting. I won't actually say, oh, yes, I have seen him. But I've had some experiences that will certainly, um, at least people who may slightly believe, uh, would make you uh, be like, oh, that's an interesting story. Uh, may not make you believe or anything, but um, I, I've, I've had a couple of interesting encounters and my family's had interesting encounters as well but i have just told you about my family we're all a little bit off we're all backwards hillbillies um (laughs) so i'll just i'll just leave it there there's been some experiences over the years and yeah so i've been in places where you know they're not really going to raise too much of an eyebrow over this kind of thing i just thought that was really funny i also did like when they walked out of the store you know it was kind of this moment that Nancy had when she's kind of having a realization of what her life was like a week ago. She's like, Oh, a week ago I was buying this shirt that I was, um, you know, trying to find a shirt that Steve would have liked. And she's talking about her and Barb, they were shopping. It took them, you know, like a whole weekend, you know, to find this perfect shirt. And here she was now she's buying bear traps and gasoline and bullets because they're off to chase this monster that, you know, they know is now know is dangerous and really scary. Um, and I just, I like that moment and they had a little lighthearted moment when he's like, well, what's more strange, um, or weird, the bear traps or me. And she's like, you definitely <laughs> So <laughs> just thought that was kind of nice. Um, so I think you pretty much covered it. It wasn't a huge or a real long, um, kind of scene or anything. So there isn't too much to really talk about. And I think we covered it, but that was my number two. It's hilarious. All right, so for do you want to go ahead and go with your number one, or you want me to go ahead and you know what you finish? you're just you're knocking it out of the park, Sean. Okay. You just keep going. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm taking all your your uh, your numbers. I'm just filling in for the night. I'm gonna let you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be the highlight here and just be the color 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 guy. <laughs> so for my number two, I wanted to go with you know the episode title 
is basically saying it all, but I want to go with the monster. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get the first full great view of it. Um, as it was stalking around, chasing uh, Nancy around in the in the upside down, it really reminded me of a sound of like a T-Rex, like from Jurassic Park. So it kind of had that like hovering, like pounding its feet walk, kind of like looking around. So like it doesn't seem like as great eyesight, so it goes off of other senses like a T-Rex did in the TV show. So you know, more smell or maybe move, not movement, but smell or um, I guess just smell because I guess that's the only other sense you would have at that point. Maybe mm -hmm. hearing, you can hear too. Um, and so you see Nancy going through this whole thing trying to get chased by it. And, you know, the other thing that kind of goes with that is, you know, mimicking like with Barb going into the upside down, like understanding that like now that Nancy's been there, just how scary this place is. Like Nancy's trying to, or Barb's trying to survive in this world that Nancy spent just a few moments in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just, and the intense fear that she gets from being in there too, I think is just crippling because, you know, as again, going back a little bit, tying more to the monsters, they're laying there. Jonathan tries to give her a little bit of comfort being like, Hey, you know, it can't get us here. And, like, the most chilling thing, which I don't know how Jonathan could have fallen asleep, because if somebody said this to me after this whole event, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. But she basically says, he's like, hey, you know, it can't get us here in the house. And she just says, well, we don't know that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, no, we don't. Oh, fuck, no, I can't sleep. Thanks, Nancy. No kidding. But I love, like, it's the, the creepiness of this monster is it's, you know, it's just, like, gray, kind of scaly. Its mouth opens up to, like, multiple teeth. You know, it's quick, you know, like it pulled that deer real quick and it chased Nancy around. So, and it seems like, you know, when you have the whole issue with, uh, with 11, like, it just seems like it's this creepy thing that we don't know anything about. It's like, I mean, it's again, it goes back to like a shark. It's, we barely know anything about it, but we just know it's a predator and a killing machine. And that's really what we're getting from my number two is this monster. Yeah. The, oh, that thing is just creepy when, when it's just, you see like the silhouette of it, like when the light's kind of behind it and you just get like it's weird, misshapen, like abnormally long arms and its skinny mm -hmm. body. I mean, ugh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I mean, that thing does scare the hell out of me. And of course, not to mention when it opens its damn mouth, like you said, there's like it opens in all different directions and there's nothing but teeth. You don't, yeah. There's nothing but teeth. I mean, that thing is going to eat you. It's going to eat your damn face off. Uh, it's like it. Um but with way more teeth and then it's just <laughs> going to chew on your face and it's, ugh, it gives me the heebie jeebies um, thinking about it. And how well, I think that goes back. It's it, like, they said it's a predator. It's a thing that it seems like all it cares about is feeding. Yeah. It, it's the apex predator type of thing. It just, it tries to figure out what it can get and it takes it and eats it. And that's all it cares about. Yeah. It doesn't seem to, I mean, it's just some abnormal type creature that does not belong in our world. And, and them saying that they, she's right, you don't know, because Will was not in the Upside Down when it took him. No, well, the deer wasn't either. The deer was something it nabbed and drug in. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, she, she's right to be skeptical and to not assume that they're safe. Um, Barb got, you know, she was for a moment, you know, she was there, and then she got dragged in um, to the upside down. So, I mean, yeah, we, you know, that thing is somehow slipping in between the worlds and what's opening that door and then closing it because you, you saw how the, the, the portal had opened there when, when they reached in and grabbed the deer and then how it was starting to close up when Nancy went through it in the previous episode and it was starting to close when she came back out when Jonathan got her. So we, I don't think we quite know or understand just yet what's making these random portals open and close. Cause then you had the, the, um, when Will reached out to his mom 
at his house and, you know, was kind of coming through the wall, which caused her to, of course, then do some uh, remodeling there at her house <laughs> and she busted through the wall. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know that we've quite figured that out, but at the thing is obviously able to travel between these two worlds, as I guess they are as well. Um, and I think they're, of course, that's what the boys were trying to figure out when they had the the story from last, um, what was it, the last episode, when the acrobat and the flea, kind of learning mm. how they're, how they can get there and travel there. Um, so, yeah, don't assume you're safe, that's for sure. I wouldn't. That thing would scare me enough. I was glad to at least finally see her scared, because I thought I would have been scared way before that oh, point. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know. But, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, I, I'm keeping the lights on. Like, I know it can get here. And I kind of envision, like, she didn't fall asleep at all. She just, like... Once Jonathan passed out, she just started looking through books and trying to figure out anything she could that could give them a, a one-up on this thing. Definitely. I wouldn't be sleeping either. I think she laid there. Maybe she tried to, maybe, but realized when she didn't, she got up and got to work trying to figure it out. Yeah, crazy. That that monster, it's it's something else. Um, do you have anything else to say about, about nope, that Nope, yes. Yeah, so my number two is the monster. Sweet. Well, we covered my number two, just talking about that scene and the monster hunting with Nancy and Jonathan. So that's going to go into number one. Well, uh, since we ha- I haven't taken your number one, <laughs> why don't you give me what your number one is? Okay. <laughs> we'll see if I can get you on this one. <laughs> um, so my number one is 11. Um, I, I, I feel she was a big part. She has been a big part of a lot of the episodes, but we really got to see her a little bit more, um, and see her alone in this episode. And we got to see some more of the flashbacks. I think, you know, we've gotten these glimpses of what her life was like. Um, we've got to see like some of the, uh, demonstrations or, um, experiments they wanted her to do. And just, we could kind of see see what she could do as far as like telekinesis and telepathy and such. Um, but so I think we really got to see some really good things. I really liked when she went to the grocery store and, you know, cause obviously she's probably hungry, you know, they were out hunting for this gate in the previous episode. So they were out probably all day. Um, they had the fight. She slept in the woods, you know, she's got to be hungry. So she, you know, notices that this grocery store, there's food there she goes and gets her egos. I mean, that girl was on a mission. And I was like, don't mess with the girl and her <laughs> egos because she meant business. I really loved, loved the scene. Uh, she makes that grocery cart go in front of that store manager. Yeah. And then she slams those supermarket doors shut where the glass just shatters. I mean, that's such, I think, an iconic moment in the show um, when Eleven did that. I mean, I think she's had some really great moments demonstrating her what she can and can't do. But I thought that was a really great moment uh, when she when she did that. Um, and we also got to see her powers again when they were at the quarry, when she was saving uh, Dustin and Mike from the bullies. Um, we, you know, she shoved that one bully down on his butt in the dirt, uh, which is where he belonged, and then broke the arm of that other boy. So I thought that was really cool. We got to see the flashback, um, which made me wonder, because you hear Dr. Brenner, it's, is he asking her to find the monster? Because of that last time. I think so, yeah. Because I think that's what the contact is. Yeah, so so we saw in the previous episode when she first went into that, like, um, the bath, I guess they called it. And it seemed like they were wanting her to, like, read the mind of that, like, Russian guy. And she catches a glimpse of this monster and it freaks her out. So how did Dr. Brenner know? Did she tell him? I wonder if maybe he didn't, like, know it's a monster. And, again, we don't know for sure. But I think just knowing that something else was there. 
that wasn't the the Russian in this instance. Like, oh, okay, well, I want you to make contact with whatever this is. And there's probably some like, um, so I'm guessing like this isn't the other time after the Russian. I'm sure there's been other instances where something has been there that maybe she's told him about. Mm-hmm. And maybe they heard it over the speaker too. So they're just getting the feeling that there's something there. And, you know, you could go down a ton of different paths. Like maybe they're thinking like, oh, well, is this some kind of like Russian experiment gone wrong? So we're actually like breaking into like, oh, shit. Well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is like a Russian thing. Like a Russian that's secret a- experiment or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Well, that's that's what I was wondering. Because on my second watch, I was listening to it again. And, you know, he's talking to her. And, you know, it's it's really just it breaks my heart, like how he can be. He's so like nice to her in one minute and then he's cruel to her by trying to lock her in this room and and such. And and you can really see it. I mean, you would almost, if you didn't know any better, actually believe he was genuine when he's talking to her. He's like, you know, I want you to do this and are you okay with it? Um, But I'm like, I don't believe you for a second. You are an asshole to this poor little girl. This is child abuse, you know, like to the max. Um, Oh, for sure. You know, I was just thinking about that. I thought, (laughs) is he asking her to find the monster or maybe if he doesn't know it's the monster, the demigorgon, whatever you want to call it, um, but how how did they know? Did they see something? Did they hear something? And you're right, maybe they heard it over the loudspeakers as, um, she, you know, she's kind of in depths of this uh, Russian guy's mind from the previous episode. So we know that Elle created, I guess, this gash. Is, you know, was it her using her powers that created this, like, little sliver of an opening that this monster was able to come through? Because we saw in this episode, whenever she did approach it, and she goes and touches it, and oh my god, the bravery of this girl. I mean, she oh, yeah. was willing to do anything. I mean, you can see that she is scared out of her mind as she sees this monster, and you can see as she's slowly approaching it, and it's bent over, looks like eating something, and I don't know what. And she's absolutely scared out of her mind, and she touches it, and it turns around, and it shows it's full-on, here's my gazillion teeth. And she screams, and you can see she's so petrified. You flash back to her in that bath, and she's so petrified. It's like shaking that whole facility. The lights are flickering. And you can see that concrete wall, uh, the big crack, and the the concrete kind of falling to the ground. And that's, I believe, where that gate and that portal was that we see in the facility when Hopper approaches it. And that's where that, I think that was kind of ground zero right there and we saw that happen it's like all the pieces now it's now we know how that gateway got there mm-hmm. it was because of that event and the 11 you know opened up the gate i mean of course she didn't do it on purpose but she did but i'm just wondering was it her powers that caused this little you know um like veil to be lifted i think it was kind of like that scream and everything it just you know she was probably stuck in both worlds and she was trying to escape and by giving it like her just you know, sonic scream that she did like into the water just did the same thing. It was enough to put a breach in there that the monster was like, oh, like there isn't just this underdark or this upside down. There's an actual other world. I'm going to start going into that now. Mm-hmm. But what do you think caused it prior to that? Because, you know, when she's reading, you know, in this and I don't know what exactly she what environment that she was in whenever she's you know, listening to what that Russian reading his mind and she hears, I don't know if she saw it or not, but we know that she hears cause we hear it, that creature coming. What well, I think, do you think? What's interesting. Yeah. So what's interesting about that to me at least is that, you know, when she first saw the Russian, she first saw the, the, the monster, it was all black. And now whenever anybody goes in there, it's more of kind of a mix between worlds. So my interpretation of it up to this point is that like that monster just lived in this black abyss and now that this is a sliver, the two worlds are starting to merge together. 
either the monsters kind of pushing forward to get it to merge or 11's kind of helped or maybe like it's like whenever you poke a hole in the bottom of a cup now that water's just running through and it had no idea there was you know this world outside of this cup and now the upside down knows that and is starting to kind of absorb itself into the real world interesting well i can't help but have all these questions and i need answers and so yeah <laughs> that that's what we get but that was my number one which i know i talk about her a lot her and hopper both um but that was that was my number one was 11 and some of the badass events that she had in the show and some heartwarming i know i already mentioned the at the quarry when they had that nice friendship moment um but i was glad to see them all all together again so i love little 11 i feel my heart goes out to this poor girl you know she just She's trying to do right by her friends. She was trying to do right by her papa, and she feels horrible, horrible about it. You know, she's just feeling responsible. She called herself the monster, and yeah, that just that was heartbreaking. That was so heartbreaking. I just, gosh, it made me all emotional. Um, so I just, I love her. I think she, she's a fantastic character, and I really love Millie Bobby Brown for her portrayal. So, Eleven's my number one. Yeah, I had quite a few things on eleven. It wasn't my number one, but the the two pieces that I I wrote down specific to the the Corey event was, uh, well, first when she walks into the grocery store, they cut back and forth of when the doctor was telling her don't focus on them, because as she was going into the bath, all the doctors were looking at her and she seemed visibly nervous. <clears throat> but in the time now that she's going through this grocery store, after seeing like don't focus on them. She gave like no fucks to anybody around her whatsoever. <laughs> That's right. Zero. She's just like, I'm I'm looking for something. I think I know what it is. Oh, those egos look amazing. That's what I'm gonna eat. Yep. And uh the other thing that I thought was funny, this is I don't know if you've ever seen um Jay and Silent Bob strike back. I only saw the first one. Yeah. Okay. There there's a part where um Mark Hamill's in the movie. And uh, the, the the part that kind of related to this for me is so whenever uh Will jumps over, she stops him and saves him. And the or Mike does sorry Mike jumps over she stops and saves him and the part that you know she fights the two guys and breaks the arm and runs off and Dustin's yelling at him and what I really wanted to say is the the scene that what Mark Hamill says in uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back so Jane to set the scene if you haven't seen it basically Mark Hamill's playing like a pseudo Jedi character <laughs> and they're acting Proper. in this like really bad movie and uh, the characters that are fighting Mark Hamill don't realize they're in a movie I guess. And so then Mark Hamill tries to upstage them in acting. And as he knocks one of them down, he's holding up this like it's a basically a vibe or it's a bong that is a lightsaber. <laughs> and he says, don't fuck with the Jedi master, son. <laughs> and that's what I wanted Justin to yell as those kids were running down. Just to yell, don't fuck with the Jedi master. That would have been a really great line. We definitely know they're not afraid of their pop culture references because they did uh, mention, they did have a Star Wars reference when uh, Mike was yelling at Lucas about, he's like, what are you going to do, do to fight the monster? Use your rocket, oh, yeah. your wrist rocket? He's like, that's uh, like uh, R2-D2 going against Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really great. Great moment, yeah. And an interesting fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, I found out, you know, in, in this series, it appears Eleven really loves those Legos, which obviously is hard to miss in this episode um, with, with the links that she goes to get them and how many boxes she took with her and how she's scarfing them down. You see an empty box sitting be or behind her as she's uh, sitting in the woods eating the Eggos when she hears the boys hollering for her. Um, but in real life, Millie Bobby Brown hates Eggos. She oh, hates Eggo waffles. <laughs> and she scarfs them in the show. 
funny. The things you have to do to be an actor. Oh, gosh, the sacrifices. Make me eat <laughs> Eggos. I love waffles. Uh, let's see. So anything else to add on your number one? No, that pretty much covered it for me. Okay. Uh, my number one we've touched on quite a bit, but I have it just – it's basically 11, I think. But it's Jane. It's the the child that's missing. Yeah. And uh, we've kind of touched on a lot of it. It's kind of like they talk about Stephen King and the abilities that Jane had. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that this baby Jane was a, a weapons versus commies. And just to kind of end with that, and because I mean, I'm assuming that this is 11, but we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of get that feel that that is the case. But to an extent, that feels too on the nose. But um, again, maybe there's going to be some interesting storyline to tie that together. But the I thought this scene was pretty perfect because as um the was it her name's Terry um her sister's talking to Hob and them about Jane there's this creepy like child's music playing in the background mm-hmm. and she's going on talking about like Stephen King abilities weapons versus commies yada 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 and the end shot as they're leaving is of that mobile that baby mobile and you see it like moving like I don't know what was moving it it just was moving in the background and they focus on that as those two walk out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so so creepy and just a nice little touch to that scene to kind of give a little bit of, you know, like you've got the child's music playing in there. There's a, there's like some like somebody cares for this kid but disappeared. But the kid's kind of creepy, too, even when they're talking about it. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, it's just like a whole new mystery that's opening up about Jane. So uh, my number one kind of ties back to Jane. I yeah, I'm going to just tack on to that. I think I mean. I thought it was, I won't say I think it's clear, because I don't think it's clear, but I think with the way that they were, you know, they they shot that scene where they're, you know, as she's starting to talk about, like I said, that Stephen King reference, telepathy, telekinesis, this, you know, child was going to be used as a weapon, and they're cutting between their talk, her talking about it, and then you see Eleven demonstrating those powers, how she threw that guy, um, you know, she was locked in that tiny little concrete room. And she threw that guy against the wall, and he made that huge impression. So you know that either, probably almost either killed him or um, uh, knocked him out at the very least. And then she snapped the neck of that other guy. Um, so I, I think that they're, you know, at least making us believe that that J- Jane is 11, or 11 is Jane, however you want to look at it. Because um, she would be about the right age. They said it was 12 years ago. Um so I, I'm 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 starting to think that that she is now. Whether or not that's like locked in, I don't know. And I'll have to go back and watch that scene where they're in the room because I know Hop. He walked up to the to the mobile and he swung it himself. He okay. He I must have missed that part. But I don't know how long it kept going. I mean, it I it's got to stop eventually, right? Um, because they were in that room talking for you know a while because she, then she starts talking, uh, you know, telling them that story and you know. She's like, you guys don't get it, do you? And, you know, so I don't know. I have to go back and watch that and see if it started to go again on its own. Because I feel they were in that room for a while and that mobile once after he knocked it. He's, you know, he just kind of knocked it. He didn't really get it spinning really hard. So I'd be interested to see if it kind of went on its own a little bit. Very interesting. So much, like like we mentioned before, you keep getting like little answers, but yet it just actually opens up more questions yeah. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just they give you a little bit and then just throw even more on top of you. It's just like after that carrot, there's another carrot and then another carrot. Yes. Oh, it's like in Family Guy with James Woods. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen that? (laughs) Ooh, piece of candy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
love Seth MacFarlane. Um, but yeah, that was kind of going into my notes a little bit. Did you have um, any, like that was, did you cover, want to cover anything else in your number one? Anything else you want to say about that? Nope, that's, that's all my number one. So what kind of notes did you have? Well, I didn't have as many notes as I normally do. Normally I have almost a page or at least half a page. I didn't have as many. Um, one note that I had, we got to see uh, the teacher, Mr. Clark. I just, he's such an adorable dork. I love him so much. I really, really do. I think he's so adorable and he's innocent and you can tell he really loves what he does. Um, this lady shows up on his door does isn't she i did not go back and watch and confirm this or anything but is she the same lady from the first episode that was portraying the social worker at benny's i think diner? so yeah okay yeah i think she's the one that killed benny yeah that's what i thought i thought gosh that lady looks familiar but i haven't seen her and so much has happened in these episodes that i was 100 percent sure but i was almost positive so now she's pretending to be this representative of the indiana av club um where obviously they're trying to lure these kids because they, I think, are making these people, whoever these people are at this facility, um, whatever uh, organization this is that's running these experiments that Dr. Brenner uh, seems to be running, uh, seems to be on the trail of Eleven and think that these children have something to do with it um, in keeping Eleven or at least know of her whereabouts. So they're using what they have and trying to lure them um, via Mr. Clark. Um, then I, one scene that I really liked was Nancy's mom, Karen, she's going up, um, to get her for school and she's banging on her door. Here's music playing. Karen Wheeler can pick a lock. <laughs> she took yeah. that bobby pin out of her hair. And I thought, you know, I've really said some really great things about her because I feel like she is a really great parent. She's trying to connect with her kids, trying to have a really great relationship to their kid or to her kids, uh, trying to make them open up and let them know that she's there for them no matter what, that they can talk to her. I think she was a bit of a wild gal in her day. She can pick a lock. <laughs> I'm seeing a whole new side of Karen. I'm like, I, I know exactly where you're coming from, Karen, you and me. Uh, we're soul sisters, I think. So <laughs> I totally get that. Um, well, I like too is she's like calling for Nancy, and Ted's just kind of like <laughs> fucking Ted, just like, oh, is it? Is they have school today? Like I thought it was like Columbus Day or something. <laughs> fucking Ted, and he's like, isn't she gonna come down? It's like, why don't you go get her, Ted? <laughs> why don't you get put the damn newspaper down, and why don't you go up the steps and go get her? <laughs> newspaper, the iPhone of the eighties. <laughs> Cannot put it down long enough to go be a parent and and get your kid out the damn door for breakfast and go to school. <laughs> God, you're right. Fucking Ted. Um, Karen to the rescue. But I, I really admired that. I thought, gosh, Karen's a badass. She she had another life. So um, I wish we could see more of what that was like or if we get a, a glimpse. But I think we got a little bit of a glimpse there. Um Another note that I had, we talked a little bit about how awesome Destin was, how he was like the voice of reason, how he was trying to bring the group back together, uh, trying to make everybody see some sense, you know, telling Mike, he's like, well, you screwed up, Lucas screwed up, Eleven screwed up, you all screwed up, you know, and we all need to come back together, and this is how we're going to, to you know, find Will as we're going to come together. So I really love Destin. He's so damn adorable. <clears throat> uh, we talked a little bit about the Stephen King reference that was in my notes. Um, there's always lots of Stephen King rep um, represented throughout the, the series so far. Um, I want to get your opinion on one thing. So we talked a little bit about um, the incident at the quarry with the bully. Was that a little bit overkill for you with the knife? 
I mean, did that? It was, I have a note about that. That seems super aggressive. And I mean, I just, re- like we said, we just recently saw it where there's a lot of knife, like, you know, the bad guy there has yes. a knife. Like, is there, was that thing in the eighties? Like I'm going to actually threaten bodily slash, you know, physical and lifehood harm to you with this knife. I mean, was that a thing in the eighties? Um, well, I know I'm slightly older than, <laughs> than you, so I've had a slightly more exposure to the 80s than you, but I do not remember anyone at my age, much less high school, but at that age that these kids were, people running around with a knife. Even even yeah. like kids from the bad side of town, which we didn't really have a bad side of town because the town was too small to have a side. <laughs> it was... <laughs> I mean, it's just the other side of the block. Yeah, it's like, turn this corner and you're at the bad side of town or whatever. But there really was no bad side of town. There really were no bad kids from the bad side of town or anything like that. Our town was too small. But I do not remember anything like that. And I'm like you. I I was thinking of the same thing from it. And I won't give away anything that happens because... um, Obviously, for people who haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, damn it. I know I keep saying it, but go see the damn movie already. Um, but, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I thought, oh, my gosh, we had that. And and then we have this. What what the hell is going on? I mean, he was brutal with that thing, I thought. And I thought, I don't remember this being a thing um, at in my town with – and I don't know. Maybe it's because we just didn't really have that many bullies. But I just couldn't imagine anybody at that age running around with a knife and holding it up to someone's throat and then threatening to cut your teeth out. So, I don't yeah, know. I felt. Like, I mean, I, I it didn't seem very, especially the fact too, like he was telling Mike to jump off this quarry too, which isn't like a small jump. Like at, if you jump oh, off that, no. you're gonna die. Yeah. So that seemed a little extreme too. So I don't know if it was, like, I don't know if they're trying to show these kids are like extremely sociopathic, like, because I mean that's murder mm-hmm. basically. What they were about, they were threatening. I know the one kid was kind of like, whoa, like that's not like kind of like you said, it reference. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, that I wasn't too sold on that, except for the fact that. I don't know if they're trying to make a reference to another 80s classic. I just, yeah, that was my, that was my last note. And I just wanted to kind of get, that was like my opinion, but I just wanted to see what your experience was when you were school. Maybe it wasn't the 80s necessarily, but like if you had similar experiences either in, I would hope not grade school. I mean, and certainly nowadays kids are probably not running around with those kinds of things, but I certainly don't remember anything like that. So no, I was never involved in anything that was that, you know, thankfully that, that like dangerous. Cause I mean, that's, you know, kid slips, kid gets a little too aggressive with that. And you know, that's, that's where bad, bad stuff would happen. Yeah. I mean the fight thing between Jonathan and um, Steve wasn't so, you know, that's believable. I mean, who didn't have yeah. those fights either out of school or after school or in school. Um, so I think, but that's normally what I, my experience was, was just, you know, punching each other's faces in girls too um we had some of those too but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um but i thought gosh i've never seen anybody whip out a knife and want someone to jump you know into something like a situation where they were wanting mike to jump into the quarry where like you said if, if he if he does that that's gonna that's gonna kill you probably so anyway those are my notes what are your notes um, I mean, covered pretty much all of them. The only one I had left was I talked about it a little bit, but it was Lucas kind of going in Rambo mode. Yeah, you know, he gets all of his his you know his weaponry, gets it in a bag, and he you know, he seemed very much like a jealous boyfriend. So he seemed almost like the Steve the D in this situation, mm-hmm. but with Mike. You know, You're Mike's right. got a new girl, and so he's very very jealous. He's like, fine, I'm just gonna go find Will on my own and show you what I can do. 
And what I love too is so he's on a mission to find the gate and he figures out like these Hawkins vans are kind of out of place. And you know, again, this kid going out on his own out into the woods, knowing his friend's missing too. Like he doesn't even know that he's, you know, that whole thing was not real. Mm-hmm. To have that courage to go out on your own is pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. And and I know I talked about that a little bit um, whenever I was talking about uh, the friendship that was um, my number four, um, that, you know, Lucas, you know, his his main focus, he's he is upset with, I think Dustin nailed it whenever he was telling Mike, he's like, you know, you're his best friend, you guys are best friends, and now you're being consumed by this girl, and he's jealous, and, you know, you're, you're foolish that you can't see it or whatever, Um and, you know, and Lucas's main focus is, yeah, he still wants to be friends with the rest of them and is willing to do that. But his main focus is, is finding Will. And I, I, you're right. It took a lot of bravery for him to go out there hunting and find the gate because they didn't find it in the previous episode because Eleven was, you know, steering them away from it because she felt it was dangerous. So he is going to find the gate himself this time. And he, he doesn't know it yet, but he has found it. And, uh, yeah, I saw those because he, one of those vans, was it this episode or was it a prior episode that one of them was kind of outside of his house and they kind of uh, did that little yeah, wave? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, because the one came up to his, no, that was this episode that he waved, but in the previous episode, a couple episodes, they were at, um, Mike's house. No, they're at Will's house. Right. Because they kind of checked to see if anybody was there when nobody was, they came out in the hazmat suits. Right. So, yeah, he, he kind of just gives him that weird little wave and and yeah and then he sees them there at this facility and he's like well you know and it sounds like he's starting to make that connection like what is going on that's really weird you know that they were outside this house and just kind of not really doing anything and they were acting he's just you can just tell that the wheels are turning and i thought that was brave i like how he put his little bandana on like he said he had a total rambo moment um and he was off on a mission so everybody had their missions in this in this episode in some form that was super cool. Good notes. All right. So we were going to jump into our first sponsor. So uh, we are being sponsored by Freshly, which is a meal prep company. Uh, you go to their website, Freshly.com, and they will bring you fresh meals that are fresh, never frozen. They're made with all natural ingredients. They're cooked by chefs with the helps of nutritionists. You can get these ready in three minutes. So if you're on the go, you know, you're busy, you want to eat healthy, like Reem and I both, we like to work out, like to try and eat healthy. But it can be pretty challenging, right? So, you know, you get off work, you hit up the gym, you're like, oh, you know, I'm really, really hungry and I don't feel like making that awesome meal at home. So I'm going to stop by, you know, some, you know, fast food place. But freshly, you're going to get this stuff delivered to your home. And like I said, it's fresh in three minutes. So you come home from the gym and instead of just grabbing what your stomach craves, you pop the meal in the microwave and it's like having a chef in your kitchen. There's no artificial preservatives. Um... So, you know, basically, like, these are for people, like, if you don't like to cook, here you are. You get this, you know, chef-style meal all ready for you just to pop in the microwave and eat. Freshly makes it healthy eating easy. So if you want to sign up, uh, go to their site, Freshly.com. You can use the promo code STRANGE, and they're going to give our listeners two weeks of chef-cooked dinners for $40 off. So you're going to get $20 off your first order and $20 off your second order. So go out. Check them out, see what you think, and you can save an hour by having one of their fully prepared healthy meals for dinner tonight. So thanks, Freshly. Thanks, Freshly. I I find that so exciting because it's exactly like what you said is, you know, we both like to try to be health conscious and we both work out and try to stay healthy by also eating a healthy diet. And it's so I, – I am at the point where I just – I don't want to cook a lot for myself a lot. I'm just – 
honestly just too lazy, honestly. <laughs> so to have something <laughs> ready that's also healthy, it's so hard to get something that's fast but also healthy. Um, and to cut some of that time out is fantastic. So uh, I think that's a great idea. I'm excited. Thanks, Freshly. Okay, so we've got some news. Uh, do you want to start with the first one? Sure. Uh, so our first one comes from adweek.com. So if you happen to be in New York this week, you may have noticed a number of people that look suspiciously like Stranger Thing character Dustin frolicking through the streets on pedicabs. Not just one, but a whole army of them. Netflix worked with the agency Donor LA to deploy 20 Dustins on pedicabs throughout New York. The Dustins rolled through the streets blasting 80 musics to drum up your nostalgia, but also to get people stoked for the show's season premiere on October 27th. Two weeks away. Woo! The kids and their bikes are a huge part of season one, so using pedicabs was a natural fit. From there, we worked on creating something for the fans that they could interact with in a real way. Jason Gabario, CCO at Donner LA, said, Outside of just riding around town on bikes, the Dustins had other tasks, picking up fans on their way to Comic-Con. The idea of using pedicabs isn't really a new one, but Donner LA wanted to take Netflix pedicabs and turn them into an experience that would get people talking and sharing whether they are fans of the show or just nostalgic for the 80s. And why Dustin instead of Eleven or Nancy? Donner LA felt that Dustin was both iconic and beloved by fans, and we knew people would instantly recognize him and get excited about the new season. <laughs> yeah, they had some really adorable pictures of this happening throughout the streets of New York, and they were dressed up just like um, uh, the the... Uh, Dustin's hat that he wears and the jacket. I mean, they were just absolutely adorable. Um, That's all, awesome. All through New York in these pedicabs. It, it was really cool. And just in time for <laughs> Comic Con. And like you said, to get people excited because it's just, you know, we're just a couple weeks away from from the new season. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. I encourage people to go out and check out that story. It was really neat. Really neat. Um, this one is from bloodydisgusting.com. So in just a few weeks, Netflix is set to battle the enormous shadow monster in the second season of Netflix's Stranger Things, which brings back all of the cast, including Jim Hopper, played by David Harbour. So Netflix surprised fans this morning by surprise, by surprise releasing an 8-bit Stranger Things video game that puts Hopper in the user's hands to save the town of Hawkins. The game is an authentic throwback to 1984, including the game's difficulty settings, which is the year the new season takes place. In the game, you'll be able to see your favorite locations like Mirkwood Forest and Hawkins Lab, while also uncovering exciting areas you've never seen before. You can solve puzzles with the unique abilities of each character. Lucas can nail anything with his wrist rocket. Nancy has an entire collection of bats to swing this time, <laughs> hopefully better than she does in the show, <laughs> collect all the egos and gnomes that you can lay your hands on. Oh, uh, nice mini callback with the gnomes. Yeah, and complete the full VHS library. You never know what they might unlock. Given Giving the game a quick whirl this morning, the controls are tremendously simple to use, and it's super fun throwing wild knockout punches with Hopper. I've got it downloaded on my phone. I haven't played it yet, but I'm. that's one of those things I need to find some time to sit down and play it for a bit. I know. I've got it, but I don't I haven't had time to play it yet. I'm really excited. But, um, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun if you get a chance, check it out. And it's it's a mobile mobile game, and everyone check it out. Let us know what you think about it. Yeah, if anybody plays it, let us know. Maybe we can see who gets the highest score. It can be kind of a listener challenge. 
So I yeah, think, po- tweet tweet us or email your scores. That's something we can be interested. Yeah, to see. we can we can have a little competition, and um, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna get a higher score than you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm so competitive, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'll probably lose, but I'm just gonna. I say don't understand. That. Rima always has the highest score, but some for some reason her phone can't screenshot it. Weirdest thing. <laughs> Our last article comes from Variety. Uh, So Netflix has again raised the monthly price of its most popular streaming plan in the U.S. with a two-stream HD tier now $10.99 per month for new subscribers. While existing subscribers will be moved to the new rate over the next several months. That's up $1 per month from the previous $9.99 monthly fee. The company also increased the monthly monthly fee for its four-stream family plan from $11.99 to $13.99 per month. That premium tier also includes select content in Ultra HD 4K format. Shares of Netflix hit a new all-time high on news of the price hike, climbing more than 4% and peaking at $192.80 per share in Thursday's morning trading. Wall Street analysis has speculated that Netflix would ratchet up its price as content costs continue to balloon. The company is spending around $6 billion on programming this year, projected to raise to $7 billion in 2017. Netflix expects to operate with negative free cash flow for several years and has turned to debt markets to help fund content expenses. Ugh, I know people were kind of griping about this price hike, but you got to remember people, they're they're doing original programming now. So mm-hmm. they're having to pay for all that production and the actors and... Well, that's the thing. Like you say, seven billion dollars. Like that's a lot of money that they're... And they're, they're, I've heard for a while they're not really making any money. So yeah. it's... It's a tough, tough thing. It is. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can either do it or you, or if you don't want to, you have that choice to pull that plug. That's for sure. But you would certainly be missing out on some great original programming like Stranger Things and some of the other great shows that Netflix has. And I definitely wanted to include that since Stranger Things is a Netflix uh, show that everybody who, you know, if they haven't seen it already in the news, that they were aware that that was going to happen. Cause I think that's something that we should all, feel like we should educate and make sure people know but um i think i think it kind of evens itself out like you said i don't know how much money they're really making i don't know how much i don't know how they've been able to stay in business even from the beginning when they were still um mailing you the discs <laughs> the dvds i remember that yeah <laughs> i guess they don't do that anymore right um i don't know if that's an option anymore honestly i haven't been in there in a while to like change my options like we used to do the dvd uh, swap before they even had the streaming before that was even available um and then we would do we kind of knocked it down to like one disc and then did the streaming and then i thought you know what we're not even getting any movies anymore and they just sat there most of the time uh not being watched so we just went straight to streaming and that's what i've had ever since so i don't even know if that's an option anymore i'll have to go check that out but yeah i don't know how they were even making their money then because there was no late fees <laughs> wasn't like blockbuster yeah. in the day where you were oh shit i've got to well they probably made more money if you sat on a dvd for a month or two yeah exactly so anyway good good stories okay so now we are we have some letters uh from the upside down this is some listener feedback that we got uh regarding this episode so first up we have steve brown he says another great ep Upon rewatch, I love the kids' D&D way of talking and interacting. The rule of law. Nancy and Jonathan arming up was great. Monster hunting. All right. I did not have bullies like that when I was a kid, pulling a knife and threatening death. Eleven to the rescue. Mostly Steve's a big D. <laughs> I, hate, <laughs> I hate that we share a name. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good thoughts, Steve there. Brown. You got to bring it back for the Steves. That's right. You got to even this out. Steve in the show is a real, like you said, he's Steve the D. You got to, you got to be the good guy, Steve, and and let us know that not all Steves are, are D's. So Andrew Newton. So this episode starts to put the pieces in place as things gear up for the season's final act. Lots of memorable moments. That scene with Eleven in the grocery store is already iconic. I've always thought it was pretty foolish of Mike and surprisingly murderous of the bullies to risk almost certain death when the bully threatens to cut out Dustin's teeth. Of course, Mike cares deeply about his friends, but he won't be able to help anyone after leaping off a cliff. Very fortunate that Eleven arrives to save the day. Kristen Howe says, Dustin is by far my favorite character on the show. He is a great friend, the smartest one of the bunch, loyal to everyone without taking sides, very self-aware about himself and his place in the world, and hilarious. I would watch that character do anything. I hope he's as central to the story this next season as he has been this first season. I agree, Kristen. I'd agree with Kristen on that, yeah. yeah. I like that he's starting to get, like, last episode, it was the whole thing with the compasses. This one is the whole, you know, the rules of the friendship. Really, really digging it. Yeah, he got some time to shine. So, yeah, I agree. So we got an email from Rebecca Silva. So it says, hey, Rima and Sean, hope you both are doing well. I just found your podcast yesterday and have been enjoying listening to it while we clean the house for a living. It's a nice addition to my favorite nerdy pop culture podcast. It's so good to hear your guys' thoughts on the show since I, too, don't have many people to talk to. Or, sorry, I don't have many people to talk with about it in real life. Ha! Anyway, I had a couple thoughts. So I believe in your first episode you mentioned how you guys thought Joyce's character was initially being over the top, maybe freaking out prematurely. I had thought that at first as well, and then you guys mentioned the part about the phone being off the hook from Will and how Jonathan nor Joyce noticed it. I was wondering if maybe Joyce's initial tendency to overreact was because she felt guilty or some sort of regret for not noticing that he didn't come home the night before, or, for example, not noticing the phone off the hook. Maybe it hit her that morning in panic that even though she was trying to be the best single mom she could be, she felt like she failed. Will Will in some way by maybe not being there for him and having to work her buns off and in turn coped with that by being very exuberant, which is totally understandable. Or that could just be her personality. Well, all that, I'm not a single mom or mom in general, nor come from a single parent home, nor have experienced my own child gone missing. So I could be totally wrong, but was just something that crossed my mind. I think that's actually a really good thought. My second thought was about the new character posters that have been released. I know this is Sean's first time through season one, so you guys are trying to not get ahead. So maybe this is more for you, Rima. I noticed the new character Billy, played by Dark A. Montgomery, is very reminiscent of Billy Hicks in St. Elmo's <laughs> Fire. Hair, name, earring. Although I'm a kid of the 90s, I'm obsessed with the 80s films and immediately thought of Rob Lowe's character. Although I'm sure that has a popular look in the 80s, George Michaels, too. Would love to hear your thoughts on this particular 80s homage. Can't wait to hear what you think and for upcoming episodes. Best wishes, Becca. P.S. How savage was it when Hopper punches the officer guard's Will's body? PSS, here's a side-by-side comparison of Billy from Stranger Things and Billy from SEF for your viewing pleasure. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> that was so awesome. Thank you, Becca. That was a wonderful email. Um, I'll go back to your first thought when you were talking about the first episode and how Joyce uh, was acting. You know, I think you make a really good point, and I'm going to say that um, – that I think that's a good possibility that, you know, yeah, she kind of had that panic and she was maybe feeling guilty for not realizing that Will wasn't home the night before and um, she was having some of that mom guilt. So I think that was a really good thought. So thanks for sharing that. 
Um, and then, of course, your your second part there about the character posters being released. And you are so right. If you look at the the new character, um, Billy, that we're going to be introduced to in in season two, I hope that's not too spoilery for everyone. But we all know new characters always come into seasons. We don't. I'm not going to tell you anything about Billy. I don't know too much about Billy. We're not really talking about him too much. Um, but we do know a new character named Billy is going to be coming in. And yeah, he looks a lot. He's got that same kind of messy, almost like, almost like a mullet, not quite a mullet. That, <laughs> An 80s mullet. Yeah, the 80s kind of mullet-ish. And uh, Rob Lowe's character in St. Elmo's Fire. Tell me, Sean, you've seen St. Elmo's Fire. I haven't. Oh, Sean. I'm making you a list, my friend, <laughs> making you a list. Um, but just Google it or else, you know, go check out the email that Becca sent. She was um, she was very helpful in providing us some side by sides. And yeah, the, the he has the earring, the hair. They're both Billy's in the film. And also, OK, so you, you saw George Michael of the 80s, right? And wham. Yeah, yeah. So he also has that kind of look that disheveled messy almost you know a little bit long in the back you know business up front party in the back kind of thing going <laughs> not a full-on mullet like a redneck mullet just a little bit you know kind of thing um it's a classy mullet it was yeah it was like a pretty boy mullet is is the way i think of it because rob Lowe was definitely like a pretty boy back in the day god rob Lowe back in the day and you know what he looks better now at 50 than what he did back in the day i'm just saying um side note yeah <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> Hashtag call me Rob Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just saying, just going to throw it out there. Um, yeah, great thoughts, Becca. Thanks so much for writing in. You had great insight uh, to some things in the first episode and uh, really paying attention to what's what's happening and the, the new character that we're going to be introduced to and great comparison. I'm obsessed with the 80s as well. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for writing in. Um, I think I'm going to probably start throwing in some, we've gotten some, uh, Sean, I know you've been kind of keeping up on it too, some good iTunes reviews. So I think we're going to start throwing some love to some of the fellas and, and ladies that have shown us some love in the iTunes reviews that take the time. Um, cause we always appreciate everybody that takes a few moments to let us know what you thought about the show or if you prefer email, you can also, if you have an iPhone, there's a super handy, um, app available. If you have an iPhone that's already available that you can take a voice memo, you can record yourself and email that to us. So if you want, we don't have a phone number set up yet. So if you guys want to leave like a, like a voicemail, you can, um, take your voice memo and email it to us. We'll play it. I promise. Yeah. We'll get you in there with the listener feedback. Yeah. I guess as long as you're not too profane or, or anything like that. Well, definitely, <laughs> of course, I don't know what's too profane for this show or for, yeah, we never <laughs> drop curse words. No. Oh my gosh. Not my virgin <laughs> ears. Um, <laughs> but, but I think we'll probably th- throw some love out to the, everyone who's taken the time as well as those iTunes reviews. Um, Cause we really appreciate everything that you guys have to say, except for that one negative review that we got where someone <laughs> said my voice was kind of annoying um so and and called me girl well this girl has a name so <laughs> please refer to me by my name if you think i'm annoying so i i did some research in that the itunes uh like his locations changed to the upside down now so i don't know what happened i didn't know they just like change your location like that well we're not going to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to talk about that <laughs> But we always appreciate what you guys have to say. And thank you so much um, to everyone for taking the time for liking our Facebook page and letting us know what you think um, about the episode and letting us know if we're doing a good job or if you like what we have to say. So thanks, everyone. 
Yep. Thanks, everybody. Uh, next week, we'll be covering the seventh episode from season one, titled Chapter 7, The Bathtub. The description for the episode is, The government comes searching for Eleven. Eleven looks for Will in the upside down. Oof. I think we probably knew that was coming, right? It's probably not too spoilery, but um, you got to feel that this is where it was leading, right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, she's heading there. The guys are heading there. They're going to get to the gate and... Ugh, I'm ready for the battle. Going to go the creepy. Two zone. more episodes. Two more episodes. I know what the hell. Um, so we're really, really excited for you to travel to Hawkins, Indiana, with us. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange T Cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com/strangertcast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like Podcast Junkies at Podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other Podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Check it out. There are a ton of great podcasts on there on Podcastica. So uh, we're on there along with some other great ones um, as well. So yeah. And be sure to check out Sean in his other podcast, The Language of bromance that comes out every Sunday. Yeah, so this Sunday we are drafting mythical creatures Ooh. for a mythical creatures zoo. Oh, well, I think you're going to have a heads up on that one, Sean. <laughs> I think Demi Gorgon, number one. Absolutely. I think you got a little <laughs> bit of an edge going. <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode six, chapter six, The Monster. Until next time, I'm Raymond. And I'm Sean. And Wendy Ott Eppers is strange indeed.